This is African News Tonight on The Voice of America. Hello and welcome. Welcome to African News Tonight from the English to Africa service of The Voice of America. Your source for Pan-African news and world developments. I'm Yehiyas Wuhib in Washington. Coming up on African News Tonight. Africa has come together to say silence the guns. And we did it within the Pan-African context with the African Union guiding there in South Africa with our brothers and sisters. Ethiopian political com- commentator Dr. Desta Megu praising Africa's efforts to mediate a ceasefire to the war between Ethiopia and its Tigray region. Details coming up. Also, Somali authorities are scrambling to avert famine from a record drought. A former rebel commander during Liberia's civil war nearly 30 years ago is sentenced to life in prison, and the U.S. prepares to hold important midterm elections. Coming Tuesday, we'll have these stories and more on African News Tonight. First, our top story. The government of the Federal Democratic Republic of Ethiopia and the Tigray People's Liberation Front, TPLF, have finally agreed to peacefully resolve the violent conflict that erupted on November 3, 2020, in the Tigray region of Ethiopia in a manner consistent with the Constitution of the Federal Democratic Republic of Ethiopia. That is how the signed agreement by the two warring sides starts. To brief us more on the matter, we have in studio Abraham Zare, international multimedia journalist in the Horn of Africa, Tigrinya program. Welcome to Africa News Tonight, Abraham. Thank you for inviting me again. So, tell us, what's the latest from Ethiopia regarding the peace talks? The latest we heard from, apart from the official side, congratulating all the developments have been met. We, today we have a report from Addis Ababa, mainly about Tigrayans, also from other parts of Ethiopia, but Special those who have, we have got from 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 sorry from Addis Ababa, they're expressing their excitement about the the peace the, the deal so far signed in South Africa, and they hope this might transpire into peaceful resolution and lasting peace. So people are happy about the peace deal. That's Extremely. what you're saying. Yeah. So the devil is in the implementation. So what stands out for you as far as the agreement is concerned? I think many people are expressing their concerns about two or three points. One is the issue of Eritrea because it's heavily involved in the, in the conflict. Another issue is the issue of the question of what previously called Western Tigray, like that includes Humara and Al-Qaeda. And others about this armament of TPLF fighters. Those issues, they are very difficult to implement them and they seem difficult to implement, but so people are asking like, how would this issue be implemented on the ground? So we'll see how they are trying to do them. So there have been reports of atrocities and genocide committed by old sides, according to Amnesty International. Uh, will there ever be accountability for this? In the agreement, it says there should be accountability also. Those who have committed uh, atrocities against civilians and other uh, non war warring sites. So it looks like the Ethiopian government, uh, when you see the agreement, paid little concession and uh, th- could there be spoilers in the ranks of the TPLF that could derail the peace talks? It uh, seems f- from to be the, so one-sided. <laughs> from the outside, it seems one-sided, but it also like alludes, for example, let's say, by the conditional uh, of Ethiopia, by the conditional of Ethiopia. This might allude to, this might put pressure on the Ethiopian government to say, uh, handle the Iran case, 
or it also implies West Tigray would be handled by the Ethiopian constitution that would mean the, the former administration of Tigray. There are issues that might be between the lines. So, uh, as uh, overall, uh, did the AU did the right thing as far as uh, mediating these talks? I think everybody is praising, including the warning past, that the AU did a, a very good job. So we should see that they have done a good job. What we see is how to implement the, those those deals. I think the whole of Africa was surprised by yesterday's events. Uh, Abraham Zare, international multimedia journalist in the Horn of Africa Tigrinya program. Thank you for your input, sir. Thank you. The international community has been left pleasantly surprised by the comprehensive peace deal agreed to yesterday in South Africa by the warring sides in Ethiopia's Tigray region. The Tigray's People Liberation Front, the TPLF, has been fighting Ethiopian and Eritrean government troops for the past two years, claiming its people are victims of ethnic cleansing. But human rights groups say all sides have committed war crimes, with the conflict killing hundreds of thousands and displacing millions. Darren Taylor reports. The agreement's been signed almost exactly to the day that the war started. Prime Minister Abiy Ahmed sent troops into Tigray on November 4, 2020, after accusing the TPLF of attacking federal army bases. The TPLF was at the center of government in Ethiopia for almost 30 years, with the Ethiopian People's Revolutionary Democratic Front, the EPRDF. But in 2018, it lost power to Abiy's Prosperity Party. Abiy, an Oromo leader in a multi-ethnic country, had been a member of the EPRDF. Since 1991, it had jailed opponents, suppressed the media, and been accused of human rights abuses. When Abiy became leader, he instituted sweeping reforms, released thousands of political prisoners, and unbanned media and exiled opposition parties. He promised to end ethnic division and unite Ethiopia. In 2019, he won the Nobel Peace Prize for helping to end 20 years of territorial tension between his country and neighboring Eritrea. But the Tigray crisis has marred Abiy's legacy, and he's now accused of perpetrating the same atrocities he once condemned. Ethiopian political commentator Dr. Desta Megu says the agreement signed in South Africa is much wider than the one broken in August last year. Humanitarian aid, infrastructure, as you mentioned, government administration, political resolve starts immediately. One of the distinctions in the agreement is to open up channels of communication with commanders on both sides within five days regarding disarmament and security. So again... But there weren't just two sides involved in the conflict. University of Limpopo Horn of Africa observer Victor Gomeswana says there's no reason for Eritrea to continue its military presence in Tigray as long as the TPLF sticks to the agreement. If you know the regional and geopolitical tensions that created Eritrea in the first place, you will understand the bigger sovereign respect should go to Ethiopia and it must be allowed to do what Abe Ahmed had started in unifying the Horn of Africa. Because it's when that unification is respected and upheld that intra-Africa coordination, trade and investment and collaboration can be attained. 
Meg, who's happy, the truce emphasizes that Tigrayans are Ethiopians entitled to the same rights and services as people living in Addis Ababa. While we're not celebrating the deaths and the absolute tragedies that have ravaged the country and, and people's lives and livelihoods, we are celebrating the fact that Africa has come together to say, silence the guns. And we did it within the Pan-African context with the African Union guiding there in South Africa with our brothers and sisters. And so again... Khomeswana acknowledges Africa's littered with broken peace deals. He's convinced the success of the newest agreement rests almost entirely with the TPLF. If they go back home and say, people, we are part of Ethiopia, let's respect the sovereign integrity of our country, it will hold. But what I'm glad about is part of the agreement is restoration of humanitarian aid. The other stuff will depend on TPLF and whether they can honor this agreement. Because I'm sure that Abiy Ahmed as prime minister has never been interested in fueling conflict. I'm sure it depends on TPLF. If they get mischievous again, it will not hold. The TPLF says it's ready to implement and expedite the agreement and to help chart a new path of peace for Ethiopia. For VOA News, I'm Darren Taylor in Johannesburg. Officials and diplomats have hailed the peace deal. Fred Harter reports from Addis Ababa, Ethiopia. In a statement released shortly after the peace deal was signed Wednesday evening, Ethiopian Prime Minister Abiy Ahmed described it as a monumental step toward moving Ethiopia forward on the path of reforms we embarked upon four and a half years ago. Abiy also thanks the African Union Commission and its panel of mediators who oversaw the talks, as well as the South African president, Simul Ramaphosa, whose country hosted the process. We count on your continued support in reconstructing conflict-affected areas in the northern part of the country, Abiy's statement said. In South Africa, the federal government and the rebels in the northern Tigray region agreed to observe a permanent cessation of hostilities. They also committed to restoring services and unhindered aid access to the region. U.S. Secretary of State Antony Blinken hailed the deal in South Africa as a momentous step that advances the African Union's continent-wide silencing the guns initiative. We welcome the impeded delivery of humanitarian assistance and the protection of civilians that should result from the implementation of this agreement, Blinken said. The Executive Secretary of the Intergovernmental Authority on Development, Ethiopia's Workne Gebreyeu, congratulated the parties on the deal, while the United Nations Secretary-General Antonio Guterres called on Ethiopians and the international community to support the bold step taken by the warring parties. Joseph Borrell, the European Union's Foreign Affairs Chief, urged that swift implementation of the agreement was needed and underscored the need to resume humanitarian access in all areas affected and to restore basic services. The conflict has created a humanitarian crisis in Tigray, where one-third of children and three-quarters of lactating mothers are malnourished. It was not immediately clear when aid deliveries would resume to the region, which has been mostly cut off from the rest of Ethiopia since the conflict erupted two years ago. It is unclear where Eritrea stands in the peace deal, but it has been involved in the Tigray war since the beginning, fighting alongside Ethiopia's federal government. The neighbouring country was not represented at the peace talks and the warring parties did not directly address the subjects of the withdrawal of Eritrean troops in the statement issued. The Tigray People's Liberation Front committed to demobilising its forces in a joint statement 
with the federal government, which said the process would take into account the security situation on the ground. Officials described the negotiations as intense, with the talks that went on for 10 days. Shortly after the deal was announced, the government's chief negotiator, Redwan Hussein, said he felt overwhelmed and described the war as a mess that could have been avoided. Fred Harter, for VOA News, Alice Alba, Ethiopia. You're listening to African News Tonight on The Voice of America. I'm Yehiyas Wuhib in Washington. Please note, we have moved our programs from voanews.com to voaafrica.com. There you'll find all your favorite VOA radio and TV programs and a whole lot more. Find us on voaafrica.com. Somali authorities are scrambling to avert famine from a record drought that has affected nearly 8 million Somalis or half the population. The largest city in Somalia's southwest state, Baidoa, is being the brunt as thousands of families flee starvation in the countryside to displaced camps in the city. Aid groups and authorities are pleading for international help to prevent further loss of life, as Mohammed Sheikh Noor reports. The UN's World Food Program says Somalia's worst drought in nearly half a century has wiped out millions of livestock and made nearly 80 million people, including 1.5 million children, face chronic hunger. The unprecedented failure of a fifth rainy season in a row has displaced more than 1 million Somalis from the countryside, forcing them to head to the outskirts of cities like Baidawa. Many have no option but to walk, and the most vulnerable don't always survive. Marok Adan Lamu speaks of the challenges she has faced. She says, our journey took us 10 days during which three of my children died of hunger. We have not received any aid for the three months we have been here. Our only source of income is the firewood we cut and sell. If we don't sell any, we are unable to eat and sometimes go hungry all night. Children under the age of five, the most vulnerable to the malnutrition, receive what care is available at Baidawa Hospital. Khadija Isad is the mother of malnourished child. She says the drought has decimated her crops and livestock. She says that we have experienced a severe drought during which we have not been able to grow our crops for four consecutive seasons due to lack of rain. Our livestock has been wiped out and my son is suffering from malnutrition. Hospital admissions for children are rising quickly, according to Dr. Mohammed Ibrahim at Baidawa Hospital. He says malnourished children are coming at an alarmingly high rate. We were admitting about 150 to 200 children per month. Now the number of children per month has reached 300 to 400. Somalia's southwest state government is working closely with aid agencies to lessen the impact of the drought and try to prevent famine. The state minister of humanitarian and disaster management, Abdi Nasser Abdi Arush, is coordinating relief efforts. He says our goal is to ensure that no famine occurs in this country. And we expect God to help in our efforts to ensure that it does not happen. 
It is important that we do all that is possible to prevent people from dying of hunger. As a government, we have been entrusted with responsibility by our people. But in the makeshift campus for the displaced, there are few visible signs of adequate aid for drought victims. The last declared famine in Somalia in 2011 killed a quarter of a million people. If more food aid doesn't arrive soon, aid groups say another famine in Somalia could be even worse. Mohamed Shagnour for VOA News, Baidabo, Somalia. Control of the U.S. Congress is at stake on November 8th when American voters will elect new representatives in the House and Senate. The midterm elections are seen as a referendum on President Joe Biden's performance halfway through his four-year term and an early preview of candidates to replace him in 2024 and issues that are critical to the American public at a time of deep political divisions. VOA's congressional correspondent, Catherine Gibson, explains. After months of campaigning and with millions of voters, just a handful of states will decide if Democrats keep their slim majorities in both the U.S. House and the U.S. Senate. President Biden campaigning in Pennsylvania, one of just a few key Senate races out of the 35 this year that are still too close to call and where Democrat John Fetterman is facing health concerns about a recent stroke. But it knocked me down, but I'm going to keep coming back up. Fetterman going up against Republican candidate Dr. Mehmet Oz, who has been endorsed by former President Donald Trump. Dr. Mehmet Oz, Republican Senate candidate. I would support Donald Trump if he decided to run for president. All right, But this is bigger than one candidate. This is a much bigger story about how we are going to build a bigger tent to let more Americans feel safe. Polling shows the race for control of the Senate is so tight, there is no advantage for either party. Even though conventional wisdom says that Republicans should benefit from having a Democrat in the White House. George Washington University's Casey Burgat. You can just check back throughout history with very, very few exceptions. After the first couple years of a, the, the president's first two term, that, that party just loses power, that people look back, they see a record, and almost all of the campaign promises are not fully met yet. And so people get uh, a little frustrated and add that with uh, some troubling economic numbers with, the, with inflation and gas prices up until now, people really hitting, getting hit within their pocketbooks. But in the southern state of Georgia, where early voting is already underway, social issues have also played a role in the race. Republican candidate Herschel Walker denying allegations he paid for a girlfriend to have an abortion. Republican Senate candidate Herschel Walker. The abortion thing is false. It's a lie. Polls show a close race between Walker and Democratic Senator and former pastor Raphael Warnock. Democratic Senator Raphael Warnock. I think that part of the problem with our politics right now is that it's become too much about the politicians. And in the southwestern state of Arizona, immigration is a key concern. Democrats Mark Kelly distancing himself from Biden's border policies. Democratic Senator Mark Kelly. I've been strong on border security and I've stood up to Democrats when they're wrong on this issue. It sounds including, like including, by the way, yes. including the president. 
His Republican opponent, Blake Masters, like many Trump-endorsed candidates around the country, continues to claim fraud spoiled the 2020 election, even though numerous lawsuits over the issue all failed in court. Republican Senate candidate, Blake Masters. I suspect President Trump would be in the White House today if big tech and big media and the FBI didn't work together to put the thumb on the scale to get Joe Biden in there. All 435 U.S. House seats are also up for re-election this year. Currently, Democrats hold an eight-seat majority in the lower chamber. Katherine Gibson, VOA News, Washington. Hello, this is Heather Maxwell, host of Music Time in Africa. Join me every Saturday and Sunday for an hour of awesome African music. Like to stay on top of new music trends, breakout artists, new releases? Maybe you just love the classic styles and artists of the past. Or simply the sound and feel of a good beat. Whatever your pleasure, you can get it every week right here on Music Time in Africa. So join me on your local FM station Saturdays and Sundays at 1500 and 2000 UTC. A former rebel commander during Liberia's civil war nearly 30 years ago was sentenced to life in prison yesterday for violence against civilians and complicity in crimes against humanity while he was a teenager. A Paris court found Kunti Kamara, now 47, guilty of complicity in massive and systematic torture and inhumane acts between 1993 and 1994 against civilians. Victims included a teacher whose heart he reportedly ate after it had been removed by another soldier with an axe. The allegations date back to the early years of the back-to-back conflicts that left 250,000 people dead. Kamara was a regional commander of the United Liberation Movement of Liberia for Democracy, a rebel group that fought the National Patriotic Front of ex-president Charles Taylor. The case was brought by the Crimes Against Humanity Division of the Paris Court after Kamara was arrested in France in 2018. If the court's first conviction unrelated to the 1994 Rwanda genocide. About 15 witnesses came to Paris to testify. Kamara has denied the allegations and claimed he was the victim of a conspiracy. And that wraps up this edition of African News Tonight. I'm Yehyes Wuhib in Washington. For all the latest development on the continent 24-7, visit our website at voaafrica.com. On behalf of our producer, Mokbilia Baro, and our engineer, Adrias Regas, thanks for choosing the Voice of America.
I'm Carol Castiel, host of Press Conference USA, VOA's newsmaker interview program. Join us each Saturday and Sunday when we talk with authors, analysts, and policymakers who provide fresh insight on topics ranging from U.S. politics and foreign policy to science, culture, and global health. You can listen to Press Conference USA on the radio or online at voanews.com slash PCUSA. While you're visiting our website, be sure to subscribe to our podcast. We'd also love to hear from you. Just send an email to PCUSA at voanews.com or connect with us on Facebook at facebook.com slash voa or on Twitter at voa. That's Press Conference USA every Saturday and Sunday 